eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us here on Dogman Radio. I'm Scott Eklund here sitting in with uh, Chris Fetters. Kim Grinolds is in Colorado today, and he'll be on the sidelines. So Chris and I thought we'd just update you guys on a few things and also talk a little bit about the Husky Colorado game. Chris, how are you feeling? Are, are you feeling a little bit better? Yeah, no, everything seems to be good right now. And uh just we, uh, gave you, we gave you the night off on Wednesday. Yep. I took the night off. I took Wednesday off two weeks ago. Kim took it off two weeks or three or a week ago, and then you took it off on on Wednesday. So we all got a day off. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're all kind of hamming and egging it, just kinda yeah, <laughs> picking up where we can. But yeah, no, um, feel pretty good. Uh, definitely, really happy that we've got football again this weekend. I'm sure yeah. every Washington fan is sitting there wondering what are we going to do with a with a, like a week 12 bye. You know, it just doesn't doesn't feel right. But uh, Colorado's in the same boat because they're, you know, those were the only two teams in the Pac-12 that were off last weekend. So I guess in that sense, uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of an even Steven on there. But yeah, really looking forward to this game and uh, glad we get to see some football, even if it is going to be really really late at night. Yes, it will be late at night, but honestly, we from a from at least a home standpoint, other than the Cal game, which was kind of an anomaly because of the weather situation, Washington fans have been kind of blessed, at least from a um, a going going to the games kind of standpoint, because there was only one night game that I remember. Yeah, no, that's right, that's right. But the the Cal game it was, was a very uh, late night. <laughs> yeah, the, the Cal game was a late enough night for everybody and then some i mean that was just uh such an unusual deal hopefully we never have to worry about that again yeah well let's get to washington's game against colorado tonight at seven o'clock kickoff uh local time in seattle it's eight o'clock it'll be an eight o'clock kickoff back there in boulder and washington comes in six and four coming off of a a brilliant defensive performance one of the greatest defensive performances ever by a husky football team holding Oregon State to just 119 yards, eight yards in the second half, no first downs in the second half for the Oregon State Beavers, who actually went on and, and got a thrilling, I think, what was it, 36-35 win over, 35-34 win over uh, Arizona State last weekend. So it isn't like Oregon State's chump change on the offensive side of the ball. They can move the ball, and Washington really put it to them. Do you think that this defense is ready, Chris, to – you know, build off of that and maybe not hold Colorado to eight yards in the second half or anything like that. But 
to build off of it and have another very good defensive performance. Yeah, I think they can. I mean, I don't think there's any reason why they can't. I mean, they, you know, the last time they went to Boulder, they held Colorado, if I remember right, to 10 points. So this is a situation where it sets up for the team getting back there and, and kind of doing the same thing. Now, obviously, when you have a performance like the defense had against Oregon State, you would love to get right back out on the field and prove that it, was a, that it wasn't a fluke. Um, having to wait an extra week, yeah, it's it's certainly better for the offense in in in, in a sense, and I know we'll get to that. But um, yeah, the the defense really, I think, just kind of with the Utah game and the Oregon game, and and not finishing the way that they would have wanted to in the fourth quarters, and kind of letting those games slip away. I think they really had something to prove, and the practices going into the the Oregon State game obviously must have been uh, right on point. I can't imagine them, them slipping especially with this is the last road game for the seniors guys like, you know, Miles Bryant, you know, I don't know, if, you know, what Brandon Wellington's status is going to be, but I assume Kyler Manu, um, you know, you've got uh, guys like Benny Potowai, Jer- uh, Josiah Bronson, um, some of these other guys. So I think it's just one of those things where, you know, they know the time is ticking. They know it's going to be their last time to, to really be road dogs together, except for obviously the bowl game, but that's kind of a one-off and a, a totally different environment, totally different, different feel. atmosphere. Different yeah, feel, for yeah. sure. So, you know, I, I have a feeling that they still want to show that this wasn't a fluke, that the Oregon State game was was where they should have been all along and, and where, they were, uh, where they were pointing to. Yeah, and I think – I mean, Chris, I don't know about you, but I've gone back and I actually rewatched the Oregon State game and watched the defensive side of the ball. I, I really didn't want to focus on the offense because other than Savon Ahmed and the way they were running the ball, I, it was just not a, a real fun watch. But as far as the defense, I went back and I watched. And as good as I think the secondary played, and, and Edefawan Ulofosio had a great game, came away with player of the week on defensive player of the week honors and everything like that. As good as the back, uh, I guess, six, seven, whatever, however many guys there are, it was really the defensive line, at least in my opinion, the defensive line that, that really got after it. Levi Anzarike having a really good good, uh, really good game. I thought Josiah Bronson looked really good, uh, stopping the run. Like I said, Levi just was disruptive all the way around, both in the run and the pass. Um, just give me your thoughts on, on that defensive front and, and how they're coming along. Well, sure. I, I really honestly think that they're going to be the key to the game uh, tonight because it's it's one of those things where if you talk to the Buffalo guys, the media guys, and we know, you know, like Adam Munster-Tiger from Buff Stampede, the guys that, that we talk to in our network and what have you, you know, they pretty much believe that the offense is going to be revolved around Steven Montez, you know, the quarterback and, and how he goes. And if you can get Steven Montez off his spot and running around, but running around, not necessarily as a running back, but running around trying to find guys downfield, that's when the defense could have some success. Now, if there's some some situations where he keeps the ball RPOs does you know takes it on some inside outside zone type stuff and creates some hay that way you know he could be a little bit more dangerous and that could put Washington a little bit more on their heels but like you said the way the defensive line played against Oregon State I just don't know um, if the Colorado offensive line is going to be able to handle that because there's it's certainly um, 
you know, one of those things where not only are the guys that you talked about playing well, whether it's Levi Anzarike, uh, Josiah Bronson, Benning Potowai, but also the two redshirt freshmen, I think, have really progressed. Tuli Latuigasanoa, Sam Taimani, I think they've done a really fantastic job, too. have been rock steady all year long, which I've found to be, I think, one of the real highlights of the season defensively is the fact that those guys have probably elevated their game exactly how people would have wanted to over the course of the year. So I think with if those guys can rotate, do, you know, if, if, if Kaiken Malloy can do kind of the hockey shift styles where he can rotate those guys, keep them fresh, keep them going, especially with the altitude and everything else, um, I think they could make life really difficult for Steven Montez because Colorado does have a couple of really good running backs in Fontenot and, and Jared Mangum. Jared Mangum's like 215 pounds. He's, he's kind of their version of Richard Newton. And then we know that LaVisca Chennault, even though he doesn't get a ton of balls as like a, a, an actual ball carrier, we do know that when he's in the Wildcat and he's in kind of those third and short situations, he's perfect. He's never, I don't think he's ever not converted one. So we know that there are certain dangers when it comes to what they can do at the line of scrimmage. But if Washington can show what they did against Oregon State, it's not a fluke, then I think they're going to make life difficult, I think, for Steven Montez. Yeah, and that's one uh, guy that I've really liked as a freshman coming in, Jaron Mangum. You mentioned him. You said 6'2", 215. He's rushed for about, what is it, two, let's see. I'm looking at my stats right here. Um, in, in conference, he's at 274 yards rushing. He's only uh, He's got 414 yards total this season so far, but um, I, I really like just the way he runs the ball, and I think he's, he's kind of the next uh, Philip Lindsay. Uh, for their offense because remember Philip Lindsay wasn't the biggest guy now now this guy's obviously a lot bigger than Lindsay but Lindsay was just so tough to bring down and he could do so many different things and they were he never left the field really and I think Mangum is that guy in the future and along with Alex Fontenot who's another really good running back for them he's their leading rusher at 720 yards I think they've got a nice little one-two punch back there yeah, they definitely do. I mean, Fondo's averaging almost five yards a carry. Mangum's only averaging a little over four yards a carry. He is a little bit more of that bigger back. And then Chenault, uh, you know, he's only carried the ball, I think, 15 times this year, but he's at eight yards a pop. So And some of that is as a Wildcat quarterback. We mostly, yeah, mostly and, and, uh, and whatnot. But those are basically going to be your ball carriers are basically Fontenot Mangum and then Steven Montez, who, you know, sometimes those are going to be scrambles. But he will call his number from time to time. I mean, looking at some of the film against Stanford, definitely against some of the film against UCLA, uh, watching the film last year when Colorado played in Seattle, he definitely didn't hesitate calling his number. So um, they definitely have to worry about him a little bit more as a running threat. Um, Not exactly sure who he would compare to. Maybe like a Khalil Tate. Um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to tell exactly when you look at the other quarterbacks that they've faced this year, um, who he really kind of resembles the closest. But uh, you know, he's got a, his own little kind of sense for how he gets things done. And you know, he's a, he's a senior now. He's 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 a very very experienced quarterback. Who but, who is the quarterback from Arizona State uh, that grad? He was like a fifth year senior when he graduated a couple of years ago. Uh, but he that's who Montez reminds me of the way he runs the ball. It yeah. isn't it isn't it isn't a guy who's going to blow you away dynamically with with him being able to run away from guys or make guys miss. But he just seems to always gain five to ten yards every time he tucks the ball. 
Yeah, no, there's no doubt. And that's why I think the key is to to try to contain him, get him yep. running around a little bit, but get him running around looking for someone down the field because, yeah, he has 14 touchdowns that he's thrown, but he's also thrown 10 picks. So his efficiency rating is just around 128, 129, which, you know, I remember all the way back talking to Steve Sarkeesian, you know, seven, eight years ago. And he thought that, you know, anytime you could get an efficiency rating around 135, 140, that was pretty solid. So he's he's a little bit below average in that respect. So if they can get him running around, confuse him a little bit with their looks, because you know Jimmy Lake's going to want to run that nickel base, maybe even throw six guys out there at a time, depending on what the down and distance situations are going to be like, you know, they might be able to confuse him up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you talk, you've already talked about LaVisca Chenault, probably the best or one of the most explosive athletes in this, in this conference, but just a guy who he's their best athlete on that field. And yeah, he's only got 45 receptions. So he's second to, uh, Tony Brown in their receptions, but he's, he's got a long of 71. He's got three touchdowns. He, like you said, he's got 15 carries for 119 yards and two scores, um, just an all-around unbelievable player, and he's been dinged up. So I think the the healthier he is, the more of a threat he is. And I think the other thing is with Mel Stewart and his staff, I think they weren't quite sure how they wanted to use him. Well, yeah, that the key though, Scott, is that he he's been banged up for weeks. I mean, yes. he has not been a hundred percent for a while now. So you know, you have to give him credit for getting through it. I mean, he's he's doing this on a, a lot of guts and and. Uh, talent for sure um that's why you just don't see him carrying the ball maybe as much as they would have liked to in years past because you know last year year before he was he had killed it I mean he just you know he was so good and he just exploded onto the scene as we all know um but Tony Brown I think has really picked up the slack in that area really solid receiver Katie Nixon we all know about Nixon he's been around Colorado it feels like forever um, then Dimitri Stanley, who Washington recruiting uh, folks that, that follow that stuff will remember that Washington was trying to get in on Dimitri Stanley late in the process, and he's turned out to be a really good athlete. In fact, if I remember correctly, he got his first career pass reception as a Colorado Buffalo against Washington in Seattle last year. Um, so he's a guy that you have to look at uh, as well. So. Again, you know, Colorado has their weapons. They have a few guys, but it really kind of is is Steven Montez that's stirring the drink and, and the, the front of Washington needs to get after him and, and kind of take him off his spot and make life tough for him. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's move over to uh, when Washington's on offense. Um, Savon Ahmed looked like a different running back against Oregon State. Now, was that some of that because Oregon State isn't that good? Eh, I don't know. But he ran the ball a little bit harder than we've seen, quite a bit harder, actually, in my opinion. And then uh, Richard Newton being back, I don't know if he's 100% healthy, but being back in the lineup, being available, uh, just I thought their running game looked, uh, I don't want to say stellar, but it, it definitely 
led the way for them. Their offense, you know, we, we've ha- hashed it and rehashed it and re-rehashed it uh, throughout the season. Passing offense isn't very good, but they're going to be facing a defense, one of the worst defenses they've faced all year, that has allowed 480 yards uh, per game. They're allowing, a hundred and I believe it's 160 yards rushing and, a, and 320 yards passing. If, if they're going to get well, it seems like this is one of the weeks that they can do that. Very true. I mean, that, but all, that it, it all that, seemed like that against Oregon State too. So well, and, and we also probably would have assumed that Stanford would have put up more points than they did. But again, you know, Stanford only put up thirteen against Colorado, but Stanford put up twenty three against Washington. So, you know, this is why they play the games, right? You just never know how these things are going to work out. But just to give people a sense of of what you're talking about in terms of of their defense giving up points, they gave up thirty one against Colorado State. They gave up 31 against Nebraska. They gave up 30 in a loss to Air Force. They gave up 31 uh, when they beat Arizona State on the road. But then they gave up 35 against Arizona, 45 against Oregon, 41 against Washington State, 35 against USC, 31 at UCLA, and then all of a sudden 13. So I, I think the, the feeling is, at least the way that I understand it, and listening a little bit to what uh, guys like Adam Munster-Tiger, the publisher of, of Buff Stampede, were saying, they feel like their defense is starting to come on, just like maybe we're talking about Washington's defense really starting to become what we thought they were going to be after the Oregon State game, for instance. So this might be, you talk about it, it being a good time to maybe get well in certain aspects of the offense, but they might be running into a Colorado defense that all of a sudden is starting to feel good about themselves, maybe running a little bit more confident, Um, you know, younger guys starting to get into their roles a little bit more, guys getting healthier because, you know, one of their main guys inside, a guy like Mustafa Johnson, hasn't really been super healthy, but he came back and now he's going to be rolling. So, you know, they're going to get some of their key pieces back. So it should be a really interesting matchup. The guy to remember for Colorado is a guy who's all over the place. He's got 97 tackles, 73 solo, 24 assisted, two sacks, two pass breakups, and he's just a guy who seems to be all over the place, and that's Nate Landman. Yeah, Landman certainly should remind people a little bit of Ben Burkirvin, um, just in terms of the way he goes sideline to sideline and just tries to get after it on every single play. Um I suppose he's Colorado's version of Evan Weaver, if if you want to call it that as well. So yeah, he's he's the guy in the middle of the thing, right in the spine of Colorado's defense that that uh, Bush Hamden's certainly going to have to account for every time they uh, they try to run a play. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that works out for sure. They've got um, you know they've got some interesting pieces for sure along that defensive line, especially that front seven. Um, when when I talk I talk a little bit about Mustafa Johnson, for instance, but you've got you know guys like Terrence Lang, uh, Alex Jengum, um, you know Naim Rodman is a freshman who's who's starting to come on as well. Jaden Sam, uh, Sammy, um, but yeah, they've got some interesting pieces. Akil Jones is a guy that that obviously is going to play a bunch as well for them on that front seven. So I think the the matchup of Washington's offensive line versus that front seven, I think is going to be really, really key. And again, if the Huskies can show that they can run the ball like they did against Oregon State, hopefully that does open things up a little bit more for that passing game. And then you got to hope they can catch the ball. 
Yeah, and when uh, Jacob Eason decides to drop back and pass when Washington wants to throw the ball, the two guys that, that he has to keep an eye on are Michael Onu and uh, Darian Rakestraw. Those are the two guys who uh, Onu leads the team with four interceptions and Rakestraw has three. Yeah, both the safeties for sure, yeah. and then uh, bringing Delrick Abrams back, uh, who's been a little bit banged up. You know, I think they're they're happy about getting him back for sure. Um, what's going to be interesting though is that you've got that the true freshman uh, KJ Trujillo, who has played a bunch, and you know it'll be interesting to see if they try to take advantage of him a little bit. Um, I don't know, you know what their what their system is going to be like in terms of how much nickel they're going to want to play and and how much they're going to try to uh, counter things. But one thing you do know about a Mel Tucker defense, they're going to play tough. I mean, he Absolutely. comes, from, comes yeah. from an SEC mindset. Um, I think I, if I remember one note where um, I think Nick Saban had hired him like three or four different times uh, on his staff, that'll tell you all you need to know about Saban's uh, admiration for what Mel Tucker is, is like as a, as a defensive coach. So you know they're going to get it together, and and yeah, they're giving up some points now, but they're they're starting to put together uh, all the stuff that they need to really be an effective defense down the road. And I think, you know, maybe the Stanford game was the part or the or the start of something good for them. So it again, I think uh, while a lot of people think that playing uh, Colorado right now might be good for the Washington offense. I think more than anything else, Washington's offense doesn't matter who they're playing. They just need to go out and execute and show that they're, um, you know, they're learning some lessons. Because you, right now, it's been they've been way too inconsistent, especially in the passing game, and that's got to get cleared up. You talk about them being <clears throat> a good or improved defense in, going down the road too. They they got a transfer from Alabama, Antonio Alfano, and obviously that's probably from a relationship that Coach Tucker had with him. That's probably why Colorado was even in the mix. And uh, that was he was a top-five player, I think, in the country when he when he came out of high school. Yeah, he was. He may have been, even been the number one guy. And yeah. I think, I think every time there's a, uh, a kid from – a five-star kid from Georgia or Alabama on that side of the or, – or either side of the ball that's uh, – that all of a sudden goes in the transfer portal. All the Colorado's fans, their their antenna perks up, you know, because they're thinking, "Oh my God, here we go! Maybe we got a chance at this guy." And you know, who would have thought Alfano, if I remember correctly, played his high school ball in like New Jersey or something? You know, yeah. how would you? Why would you think that he'd end up at a place like Colorado? Yeah, you but, would think maybe you would think maybe Penn State or something like that. Right, but you know, again, that really shows you the reach of Tucker and and what kids think of him as a coach yeah. and as a mentor and and everything else. So. I think the future is really super bright for um, Colorado under Mel Tucker if they're willing to be patient for a couple years because, you know, the the defense while it's coming on and I would expect the defense to be a lot better if you're extrapolating towards the you know next year and the year after that they're going to lose you know a guy like Montez they're going to lose a guy like Chenault they're going to lose some of their weapons on offense can they start to reload in recruiting. And get some impact guys on that side of the ball to kind of match up what they're what it looks like at least on paper they're starting to put together on defense. Yeah, and real quick for for those wondering if it gets into a close game, and I think Husky Nation hopes there, that it isn't a close game. But if it is a close game, uh, Colorado's kicker isn't too bad. James Stefano, he's um, only twenty six to twenty seven on extra points this season. He's a junior, hundred six one hundred ninety pounder. But he is 12 of 17 
kicking uh, field goals with six of seven from 29, uh, 20 to 29, four of five from 30 to 39, and two of four from 40 to 49 with his uh, only attempt over 50 he missed. Yeah, but here, here's here's the problem, though, with all that, Scott. He's not playing. He's done. He's hurt. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I should have. I didn't read that. So yeah. who's there? So Who's their guy? Evan Price. Evan actually, Price. Okay, my bad. To be honest with you, so he's Evan Price is three for three yeah. on the season, and he made the game winning kick against Stanford. Yeah. You know what? I feel stupid now. Can we delete this part? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's okay. No, but but I think what people will find interesting too is that Evan Price actually kicked for Colorado in Seattle last year. Yeah, so I, don't, I remember. I don't, that. I don't remember the. I don't remember the circumstances behind that because Stefano was their kicker last year too. So. I don't know if it's been an, uh, an issue with him in terms of injury or what have you, but yeah, he's Stefano's not he's not going to be kicked. Yeah, that's I I feel so dumb because I as the guy who goes and watches all the games uh, and does my Tuesday wrap up around the Pac-12, I reported on that. I can't believe I even thought that my my mistakes. So. Kick, kickers, <laughs> kickers, man, kickers. Yeah, yeah, what are you do? kickers. Yeah. Um. So, Chris, just. You know, give me your overall thoughts. Um, what we, we posted our our predictions yesterday, and uh, what what did where, tell me tell fans what you think is going to happen uh, later this afternoon this evening? Well, I just I just think that honestly, the buy came at a really rough time for Washington, and I'm sure it, you know, in some ways it probably didn't come at a great time for Colorado either because they both won the games before, and especially in Colorado's circumstances, they won in dramatic fashion. They, you know, they got confidence, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where they were able to to shut down Stanford and and limit them to really one big pass play to Fajoko. Um, so it, it's just uh, the, these late buys are weird, and and I think that everyone will agree that having two bye weeks in a year is a really, really good thing for the for the health and the welfare of the student athletes. But just where they get placed is really funky. And it doesn't I don't think it really helps anybody to have one in like week twelve, for instance. You know, if you can have them after the first three or four games and then have one after the next four or five games makes a lot more sense. So I just don't understand, Chris, why they can't do half of the conference in in, you know, just alternate both, weeks. Yeah, just alternate weeks for the first one, and then half of the conference for alternate weeks in the at, toward the end of the season. I, I don't. Why is it so hard for this conference to figure that kind of crap out? I don't know. If you're Kim Reynolds, uh, you know he his conspiracy theory has to do with the Pac-12 secretaries. So yeah, maybe, maybe they're not getting paid <laughs> enough. I don't know. But uh, at yeah. some point, you you'd think there would be some sort of schedule algorithm they could do they could use that would uh, that would probably make a little bit more sense, but. That all that being said, it really should be a non-factor in this game tonight because both teams had to go through the bye week, and so in that sense, um, it's a level playing field. But you know, Washington at this point, it looks like they got they've got the defense sorted out. It looks like they have you know a, a general idea of how they want to run things. It'll be interesting to see if Brandon Wellington is back and playing a lot because it. You know, based on talking this week to like Bob Gregory, for instance, you know, he says, you know, Edifuano Lafoscio, who was the defensive Pac 12 player of the week for what he did against Oregon State, you know, he's going to play a bunch. And if he's playing a bunch, and then you've also got Wellington in there, and you've got Kyler Manu, and then Jackson Sermon's been rolling in there quite a bit, uh, Ariel Nada's been in there quite a bit. 
Um, I think it's going to be really intriguing how they rotate these guys because they usually like to rotate them in pairs and like to try to see what they can do together and um, kind of run with the hot hand, uh, kind of what uh, Keith Bonifa does on offense with the running backs. So defensively, they've got some things that I think they're they're working with and they're good problems to have, but a guy like Ulafosio is really starting to emerge and because Kyler Manu and, and Brandon Wellington, they're almost done, you know, are, are the coaches now all of a sudden feeling sentimental? You know, are they going, well, they only got two more regular season games. Let's get them in there. Or are they going to go with a guy like Ulafosio, who is kind of the proverbial hot hand and, and playing really well. And Jackson Sermon's really stepping up as well. So uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they do that on, on offense. Clearly it's a, it's a broken record. It's a dead horse. The passing game has to improve, and it starts with Jacob Eason. He's got to be able to find guys quicker. He's got to be able to deliver a, a catchable ball, and the guys have to catch the passes. It's just that simple. It's just little execution things. And and I don't know, Scott, if, if you agree with Chris Peterson and, and with the idea that if they make one or two plays – in that game against Oregon State, like you know the downfield pass to, to Hunter Bryant, or or you know you know Bocelli makes one to Bocelli? yeah if he makes that catch and yeah. waltzes into the end zone, is it a totally different game? I, I don't know. I mean, it's clearly hypothetical. There's well, just no way of knowing. But it I, it, se- it seems stupid to say because it's one play, right? But at one play out of what seventy or however many they ran in the game, yeah, but he he, he but, seemed to think talking Thursday that if they had gotten a couple. Yeah. Under their belt, they, maybe that was going to be the confidence that they needed as a group to move forward. But you know, when you're not catching passes, when the ball's not being delivered the way you would expect it, they're not. You know, Jacob's Jacob's not hitting his spot. You know, all of a sudden they start to press, and I and I fully can believe I, I believe that. I mean, when they start to press to make a play, that's when things get worse. So they just really need to go out there and 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 trust their preparation and go out and just play the game. Because even when it comes to things like catching the football, I mean, those things are inexcusable. Those should, I mean, that's beyond day one stuff. That's, you know, that's high school stuff. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And, but the thing is, I, I will say, and, and having played um, football for a, for a couple of years and uh, for also all the other sports I ever played, you, you start, you, you make one or two shots in a basketball game, you, 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 you make one or two, um, shots in a in a soccer game whatever it is you get a hit here or there a key hit here or there and it just builds the confidence of the team and they just continue to build off of that and when you when you've got great athletes and say what you want about some of these guys that aren't performing and playing very well they're still great athletes chris and um i think washington uh i i think they have a psychological problem this year more than anything because washington other than being a little inexperienced on the defensive side of the ball Washington's just as talented as pretty much anybody else on this in this conference, but they're not playing that way. They have they they have lacked confidence a lot of the times. I think against Stanford, they lacked confidence because that should have been a team they blew out, and they didn't, and they got beat and beaten badly, honestly. And I, I think you know I picked Washington as a thirty-six to twenty winner over a Colorado in this game, and. I would normally just say, you know, Washington should be able to just go in and blow all the doors off of this team. And, and on paper, they probably should. But I think with some of the offensive struggles that they've had, and I think the fact, and I go back to this, I've said this pretty much every time they played on grass, Washington does not play well on grass. 
It isn't that the it's an excuse because the other team's playing on it too. Washington just does not play well on grass. They don't practice on it, and they're used to playing on turf. And it's it's not something that Washington that is conducive to Washington playing the game that they like to play, which is a speed game. So um, I'm not saying it's going to impact the game, but playing on grass, playing at elevation. Those never are great for Washington. So while I think Washington should be able to have a double-digit win on this, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we come down to a one-score game when it's all said and done. Well, and here's one what's one interesting note is that Colorado in the fourth quarter has given up 83 points. So while Washington was struggling to close out games against you know top seven national teams like Utah and Oregon. Colorado has kind of struggled all year long, closing games out, and they even needed that last second kick against Stanford to to win that game. So, if it's close and in the fourth quarter, you've got to feel like Washington is in a good position to try to close that game out. And you're right; I mean, the the, the grass is certainly a mitigating factor. The altitude could be a mitigating factor. You know, just traveling and playing at night, Pac-12 after dark, can be a mitigating factor in in weird ways. Uh, but you just you've got to feel like their preparation and and what they've been able to do going up to this game lends itself to believe that they've got what it takes to to not only win but win in a way that uh, should make them feel really really good going into the Apple Cup. That all that being said, I do think this Colorado defense is starting to get some momentum, starting to play with a little bit of confidence, and now all of a sudden if if Easton throws a pick or if there's a fumble. Or, you know, if it gets late and the ball gets a little slippery and, and it's cold out, you just never know how the ball's going to bounce. And so they've got to do all the basic things right. They've got to, you know, they've got to value possession. They've got to leverage the ball. They've got to play good field position, which Chris Peterson pointed out on Thursday is something that he feels the special teams have done a good job of. So all of those basics, you know, basics, basics. But again, when they can't even catch the football, there's a part of you in the back of your head that's going, yeah, they they've got a they've got something going on mentally that they need to overcome. And you talked about you know just you know inconsistency, but you would think some of the leadership on the offensive side of the ball would step up, especially at the receiver position when you have seniors like Aaron Fuller and Andre Bocelli who have been there so many times, but yet they've been a couple of the guys that have been maybe. Some of the, the worst most defenders. inconsistent, yeah. So yeah. it so in that way, it's you're having to rely on some of these younger guys, whether it's a Terrell Bynum, a Jordan Chin, uh, you know the the tight ends, uh, Hunter Bryant. You know, as good as he is, and he's an all world talent. He's he he he's been you know a little inconsistent catching the ball. Kate Otten has been by far, I mean by far, their most consistent pass catcher. I don't think it's even been close. And so that that really is telling because Kate Otten is good at talent as he is, and he is very good. He should not be your most reliable pass catcher. There should be five guys in front of him if you're if everybody is playing at the level they should be playing at. And at the and at the very most, he shouldn't be your. I, it, he might be just as consistent as the other guys, but the other guys are the ones you're counting on to be explosive. He's just your reliable. Get you eight to ten yards every time he catches the ball. The other guys are the ones that you're looking for to get down the field and make explosive plays. No doubt about it. And you would hope that if they do have some success running the ball and there's no reason to think that they can't have some success against this Colorado front, I mean, I I don't think they're 
just going to run all over them. I just don't think so because a Mel Tucker team is going to, they're going to play tough. They're going to play fierce. They're going to go sideline to sideline. They're going to try to get after you a little bit. But I think if Washington can show that they can run the ball a little bit, and there's, like I said, there's nothing to suggest that they can't do that. They've been doing it all year long. They should be able to, to work something off of that. They should be able to play action a little bit. They should be able to find the tight ends in some spaces and some zones and, and uh, exploit that a little bit. So again, you know, the focus will be as as many Washington fans have already noted week in and week out that this game will focus Bush Hamden and how well he can game plan and, and call the game and keep the chains moving and, and keep these guys on the field. Because obviously the longer you keep Jacob Eason and that offense on the field, the less guys like Steven Montez and LaVisca Chenault and Jaron Mangum and, and Fontenot and, and Brown and Nixon and these other guys are, are factors. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So one one thing to consider is <clears throat> later tonight, Washington State 5 and 5 takes on Oregon State, who is also 5 and 5. One of those two teams is going to be bowl eligible after tonight's game. And Oregon travels to Washington State. They've played really well. I think they've won 3 of their last or I they're, they've won their last 3 Pac-12 road games, I believe, and uh, got a win last weekend um, and against Arizona State, as I mentioned earlier. And that's going to be a really interesting game because Washington State, you know they've got to have just a little bit in the back of their heads that we've got to win this game because if, if we think we're just going to go into Washington and win, we might get a win. But it's been, what is it, seven years that they haven't won. And, you know, the Apple Cup and that's the game next weekend. So this is going to be a really interesting game to watch. And it's a 6 p.m. kickoff. So unfortunately, fans are only going to get to see a little bit of that game. But uh, before the the Huskies kick off. But, um, you know, I, I'm real interested to watch that one. And that's when I'm going to be either flipping back and forth, uh, you know, as as we're covering the game or. I'm going to I'm going to DVR I'm definitely going to DVR it so I can get a look and, and a preview of Washington State. Oh, no question. And and you're right. I mean, it if uh if Oregon State can actually go in there and and get bowl eligibility, that that's monstrous because of what it does set up for Washington State in Seattle. Um you know, but Colorado, I mean, they're they're fighting tooth and nail to get bowl eligible. They need to beat Washington and they need to beat Utah. Oh, no is, doubt. Yeah. And, and that's and that's motivation enough for those guys. But here's the one thing we haven't talked about: if Washington does go in there and win against Colorado tonight, that'll be ten in a row for the Huskies over Colorado. That's yeah, pretty that's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive, <laughs> considering they're you know they Colorado has not beaten Washington since they came into the Pac-12. And that's including the two times they played in 2016. So, yeah, it's it, there's a lot on the line for sure. But as I mentioned on the message boards this week, the, the Pac-12 is pretty nuts if you look at it because that one that game that you mentioned between Oregon State and Washington State, if Washington State wins that game and they get bowl eligible, now all of a sudden if the chips fall a certain way, 
Washington State might be the only other team in the Pac-12 that joins the four that are already currently bowl eligible, which would be Oregon, Utah, USC, and Washington. Now, if the chips fall in a completely different way, and this would have to be absolutely nuts. I mean, the odds on this happening would be astronomical. But you could have up to 11 Pac-12 teams become bowl eligible (laughs) if things fall the right way in the next two weeks. That's why I think the nation should be looking at least with one eye towards the Pac-12 because there's going to be a lot of bowl scenarios that are going to end up being developed because of what happens, obviously. But if there's 11 teams in the Pac-12 that become bowl eligible, what's that going to do to the the entire bowl picture and structure? It's going to... Well, I don't even know what you're going to do. For Husky fans, in order for there to be 11 teams eligible, and like you said, there's so many different scenarios that have to just fall the right way. But that means Washington would have to lose two straight games. This Absolutely. You're 100% yeah. correct. And 100% Washington correct. Hands aren't, Washington fans aren't going to care about that. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because Washington will end up in the, you know, in the Vegas Bowl? Bowl or something. Yeah, I don't know, cheese it Bowl is, yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. So, hey, by the Oh, go ahead. No, no, that's that's all I was okay. going to say. Yeah, because clearly, because I was going to say Oregon loses, you know, Utah would be losing. I mean, the the whole Pac-12 thing would, on the one hand, fall, fall apart. apart completely at the top, <laughs> but on the other hand, uh, if you're a college football fan that loves those kind of train wrecks, man, you'd be in hog heaven. Uh, you know, one other thing I want to make a comment about the Washington State before we wrap this thing up, Chris, is I don't know about you, but when I found out that uh, Alex Gordon, it's Alex Gordon, right, from uh, Washington State. Anthony Gordon, sorry. Anthony from Washington State, the quarterback. He threw five touchdown passes last week against Stanford in a 49-22 win, threw for 520 yards. But those five touchdowns gave him the program record for most touchdowns in a season, which is 39. I think that Luke Falk was the one with uh, had uh, 38, and I think Gardner Minshew had 38 as well. So that was kind of where you did it. Does it surprise you a little bit that the record for touchdown passes in a season at Washington State was only 38? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, the Pac-12 record is. I, I was a little surprised. Yeah, is the Pac-12 record still Browning and Goff with 43? Yes. Yes, and Washington and and uh, got, at least um, California traditionally haven't been teams that have thrown the ball around like like Washington State has. So it just surprised me when I was like, really, only thirty nine. I I would have thought it was in the low fifties, just from the amount of quarterbacks that they've had. And maybe that's naive of me. I don't know, but. And and if you think about it, um, Gordon could throw upwards of fifty touchdowns before the end of the season because they've if they get bowl eligible, they've got the game this weekend against Oregon State. He could easily have a big game against Oregon State, yeah. even if Washington ends up blowing out Washington State, which has been kind of the case the last few years. He could still end up throwing for, I don't know, you know, three touchdowns in a, even in a loss, you know, in a in a forty eight. 28 loss he could still end up throwing for three touchdowns and then you you talk about a bowl game for them if he makes it to a bowl game he could easily get to 50 50 touchdowns before it's all said and done yeah i don't think there's any question about that yeah um, he's so. shown a definitely a <laughs> a prolific streak about him there's no doubt about that um i guess one thing i would say is that um you know i think it's 
if I was thinking about it, I would be thinking about it in terms of quarterbacks under Mike Leach, because at least when you had quarterbacks under Price and Doba and some of these other coaches, um, Washington State certainly threw the ball a ton. Don't get me wrong, but they were a little, they were a lot, well, a, a lot more balanced, more balanced yeah. in in terms of their attack than than Washington State is under Leach. I mean, Leach is they're throwing the the short game as as basically extended handoffs. So, yeah, on the one hand, it is a little surprising. On the other hand, the way that the offense is run, it, they, they, they throw a ton between the tackles and things like that, and they throw a ton from the 20s in and, 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 and between the 20s. But, you know, I, I, don't, I haven't really done a deep dive into how their passing game evolves when you're in the red zone, for instance. I don't know if they inherently try to run it a little bit more when, the, when things get a little tighter um, or what they try to do. So um, on the one hand, yes, very surprising. On the other hand, until I actually would look at it a little deeper, not exactly sure what would account for that. All right. Hey, Chris, I don't want to do a <clears throat> final thoughts because we've kind of already talked about the, you know, what needs to happen this weekend. But, uh, you know, um, anything coming up on on your plate that um, that people need to know about as far as uh, some some of the feature articles we're going to be doing, especially as we get into the I don't want to call it the off season because, you know, but we've got about a month between when a bowl game happens and, and everything. So we're going to be doing a lot more features during the week on different subjects. You got anything on your plate that you're kind of mulling over and doing that, that fans might want to be on the lookout for? Well, there, there's certainly going to be, uh, at least for the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to, we'll put together a bowl watch. Um, Cause right now it looks like there's kind of three bowls that are in the, in the offing for Washington, whether it's the Alamo bowl, holiday bowl, red box bowl, seems to be the consensus picks from the people that kind of do this for a living, whether you're looking at a guy like Brett McMurphy from Stadium or the guys from ESPN or, you know, CBS 24-7 even has their predictions out. So we'll take a look at that and we'll be posting that uh, that information because right now the way it looks, those are kind of the three, but depending on how things evolve the next couple of weeks, those those predictions could change quite a bit. So we'll definitely keep you tabbed on that. And then also I'm kind of curious about um, some of the guys the next couple weeks and going into bowl season and the practices for bowl season. Who are the guys that have really started to develop and are kind of ramping up their play to become guys that I think will be featured in 2020? And we I talked a little bit about Edifuan Ulofosio, for instance. But how does the way things worked in the secondary this year, how is it going to affect a guy like Kyler Gordon, for instance? Um, you know, Julius Irvin. Julius Irvin. Yeah. How, you know, uh, how, are these going, how are these guys going to be affected? Dominique Hampton, for instance. So, I mean, there, there's going to be a handful of guys that I'm going to single out and, and talk a little bit about and, and talk about where they're at and where they're trending and um, see how they're set up for 2020. And I'm going to be doing a lot of recruiting stuff. That's kind of my gig. But um, I also want to focus on some some of the stuff going on with uh, people who um, have that that we kind of that have been regulars on our site, guys that we trust as far as their historical perspective on things, and see what some of their favorite bowl memories are over the past. Uh, I, I don't know, 25, 30 years that they've been going to games, maybe 40 years that they've been going to games, and and just find out 
kind of some of their favorite things and, and what they enjoyed, even even in a loss. What were some things that they enjoyed on that time? I'll be focusing on some of the top 2021 and 2022 guys, a lot of the in-state uh, recruits over the next few years because it's going to be an unbelievable year in-state for this, for uh, not just the University of Washington, but any university who wants to come in and offer guys because there's a lot of talent in this state for the 2021 class, and then you throw in 2022 that is loaded with offensive and defensive linemen. It's going to be a big, big couple of years here in the state of Washington where you're going to see teams from all over the country coming in here and looking to convince kids to sign with them rather than stick close to home. So just keep it tuned here to dogman.com. If you want to get onto our newsletter, Chris, tell them what email to sign up for. It'd be huskystadium at gmail.com. And if you uh, send us an email with that and you put in the subject line newsletter, we'll get you signed up for it. Uh, this time of year, we're sending out minimum one per day, sometimes two, sometimes three, depending on if there's a commit or something like that. And there could be some commits here over the next couple of weeks. Um, you guys definitely want to be a part of that. It comes right to your inbox with clickable links. You can go just go right to your site. We don't right to our site. We do not sell your information. So don't be leery of giving us your information, but we'd like to get you guys on that and uh, signed up. And uh, Chris, Kim and I will have a ton of coverage for you after the Colorado State or the Colorado game tonight, the Washington Colorado game, which kicks off at seven o'clock Seattle time, eight o'clock Colorado time. Uh, we also will be on, we're 99.9% .9 sure we're going to be on next Wednesday night, the night before Thanksgiving. And we will be on from 6.30 to 8 o'clock, our normal, or I'm sorry, 6.20 to 8 o'clock, our normal time that we're on. And then plan on joining us the day after Thanksgiving. Sit down, make yourself a turkey sandwich or whatever, you know, a leftover turkey sandwich or whatever. At 8 o'clock, we will be on from 8 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock in the morning before we hand it off to the Honk School, uh, then take you all the way up to kickoff of the Apple Cup, which kicks off at 1 o'clock. So a busy uh, next week or so for the guys from Dogman and as well as anybody who is fans of the University of Washington. How many basketball games do they have here over the next four or five days? I don't know. Well, they've got a game uh, tomorrow, actually Sunday, against the University of San Diego. And then after that, um, shoot, who they play I, after I'm that. sorry, Chris. I cut you off guard. On no, this. no, 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 no. This is, this is good because it actually will test my, uh, test my memory banks a Your little recall. bit. So they've, <laughs> <laughs> so they've got that. So they've got that game. And then um, after that, they play uh, South Dakota, which would be uh, not until the following Monday after the Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, okay. Which is so Monday, a December. Bit of a break. Yeah, it's Monday, December second, and then two days later on Wednesday the fourth they play Eastern Washington, and then that sets up for the big game at Alaska Airlines Arena on Sunday the eighth versus Gonzaga. All right. Well, Chris, we're going to wrap it up here for Chris Fetters. I'm Scott Eklund. Thanks for listening and go dogs. <laughs>
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 